Genesis 2, 18-24. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Relationships. Marriage. It's been going on since the beginning, right? <laughs> After that verse and, and other uh, verses about marriage in Scripture, there, certainly there's some definition there, but there's also a lot of room for discussion, and a lot of room for gray, a lot of room for trial and error when it comes to this relationship thing. And in Proverbs 30, uh, we, there's a proverb there that says, there, there's three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. And number four is the way of a man with a young woman. Really, this marriage thing, this relationship thing, whether it's uh, a boyfriend-girlfriend thing or a courtship, some type of dating or a marriage, this is this is a mysterious thing that we jump into. And, and if you were to go... If you were to go on Google Images or just kind of scroll through Instagram, you're going to see a lot of cute couples, right? <laughs> you see a lot of cute families on Instagram and Facebook. And there's a part of you, if not consciously, then subconsciously that says, man, I, I want that, right? <laughs> whatever we see in some of these other couples or on The Bachelor or whatever, man, I want that. But here's the thing you got to keep in mind. That is not real. That on Instagram, that on your social media feed, that is a carefully planned, carefully edited version of a moment in time. And so if you were to look at that and say, I want that, but then I were to say, what is that? You might have a hard time defining it, right? It just it just looks nice, <laughs> and that's why we want it. But what you really want, I think if we were honest, I think if we're thinking clearly, what you really want is what you believe Genesis 2 is painting a picture of. You want absolute trust in your relationship. You want deep, meaningful conversations. You want to have fun. You want romance. You want to build a life together. And many, many people do experience that, right? That, that you, you look at some couples here in real life, and, and, and many couples do experience that, and you can see it in them, uh, in a conversation on a Sunday morning or at dinner during the week. Many couples experience those things, but that road is paved with painful misunderstandings. It's paved with terrible miscommunications. It's paved with hurt feelings and intense conversations, which you might also call fights, right? And, and I could put up I could put up a photo of Kathy and I and our, our, our family, and I would say, man, I, I think that Kathy and I experienced some of those amazing things. I'm, I'm thankful that Kathy and I have the good stuff that people are looking for in a marriage. And, but we've also had some of the bad stuff along the way, right? I, I would say we trust each other. But then I'm kind of suspicious of why we spent so much on groceries last month, right? I'm, 
uh, we, we talk things out, I believe, in a, in a fairly healthy way most of the time. But at the same time, when things get intense, she needs time to step back and collect her thoughts. But I'm ready for the kill shot, right? I, I want to win. I, I think for the most part, we're, in, we're very much in agreement on how to raise our kids, how to discipline our kids. But then sometimes if one of us carries out some form of discipline, sometimes the other one will take the kid's side and question the decision-making around that. And, and I'm certainly appreciative of what she does around the house, but then she has to wonder why I'm content to leave clean clothes sitting in a pile in the basket instead of moving them to the closet, right? That, so there are the healthy things. There are the good things that we experience. Thank God we've been given that gift in our marriage. But at the same time, the road to those healthy things, the things that everyone is looking for in a relationship is paved with some of the difficulties. And so there's interesting dynamics, right? There's so much reason for optimism that you're going to have a positive experience in a relationship, but there's so much room for drama and tension and negativity. And, and so within a marriage, within a relationship, there's fun and friendship and laughter and amazing memories. There's hopes and dreams. There's support. And then on the other side, there's fear and there's hurt and there's regrets and there's jealousy and there's selfishness and there's pain and there's loss. And so we're starting a new series today called Relationship Goals. And this is, uh, when, when it comes to marriage and relationships, this is something that we, we revisit quite a bit because um, a huge chunk of our, not only church family, but a huge chunk of the world is dealing with these dynamics these relationship dynamics, these marriage dynamics. And if you're not in a relationship now, there's a good chance there's one coming for you, right? And, and, and so over the course of this series, what we're going to look at are four goals, four goals that we're going to pull out of Scripture, four goals that we should have for our relationships, marriage or otherwise. And I'll give you the four right now. Goal number one is for your relationship, for your marriage to be christ Centered. Goal number two is that your marriage would be mission-driven. Goal number three is that your relationship would be temptation-resisting, and that number four, it would be covenant-keeping. And these four goals, we're not going to throw these out as a guarantee of success, right? There, there's plenty of things to work through in order to experience a lifelong healthy marriage. So this is not an overnight shift. If you're in the midst of a struggling relationship, this isn't a switch that we're going to flip over the course of these four weeks, and all of a sudden everything's going to be fixed. But these four goals, I believe, are steps in the right direction in pursuit of the relationship that we dream of. Now, I want to throw this out there because many of you hearing this are not married. You're single and, and maybe anticipating a relationship in the future, or maybe you have been married and you're looking back on an experience, and maybe you anticipate being remarried. Maybe this is Maybe you've entered the season of life where marriage is in your rearview mirror, and it's not going to happen again for whatever reason. I want you to take these things in because I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you in kind of behind the curtain of this series, right? So all, all the married people can kind of stop listening for a second. So, so single people, whatever your context of single is, I want you to practice these things now. I want you to help others set these goals based on, on your experiences. And here's the reality. Um, all four of these goals, at the very minimum, three out of the four of these goals are things that you can input into your life as a single person in any context and experience a healthier walk with Jesus as a result. So I don't want you to tune out if you're not married or you have no desire to be married, whatever. I think these are things that can be beneficial to you in, in whatever your context is. But admittedly, 
the target audience of this series is those that are in marriage relationships, those who anticipate being in a marriage relationship at some point uh, in the future. So today we will start with the goal of having a Christ-centered marriage. Let's pray. God, as, as we dive into this series, as, uh, as this message goes out to who knows how many people, um, uh, God, th- this may be simply an audio series, depending on the, the way things play out over the next few weeks. But God, wh- whatever context in which we hear this, I pray that each heart, each mind, each relationship, each single person would receive these truths and find a way to input them into their everyday lives and experience your blessing as a result of it. God, put your hand of blessing over this series, and we pray that it would change lives, and not only that, that it would potentially change family trees. Amen. So before we get to the goal of being Christ-centered, we need to start with an acknowledgement, right? We, We need to start with an acknowledgement that your life, married or otherwise, your life is centered around something. There's something around which you have centered your life. Maybe you've chosen to center it around yourself. Maybe it's centered around your kids. Maybe it's centered around a particular lifestyle that you want to maintain or an image that you want to put out there. Maybe your life has been centered around your career and your pursuit there. Maybe it's centered around a bucket list and things that you want to accomplish and experience in your life. And you've, you've put everything else aside and reordered it around the idea of doing things on your bucket list. Maybe it's centered around academic achievement or athletic achievement. Whatever it is, there's certainly something that is tying all of your priorities together. Your life is centered on something. And the idea, uh, spoken or unspoken, conscious or subconscious, is that this is going to make me happy. This will make me fulfilled. This will make me complete. This particular thing that I've centered my life around will make me successful if I commit to this. If we can just get to there, if we can invest in this, if I can just accomplish that, if the kids don't get to do this or be a part of that, if we drop the ball on this, you've chosen something and it's very possible, maybe even likely, that that something isn't producing the results you envisioned when the whole thing got started. I was on this journey. I thought we were on this journey together. I thought we were headed towards that. Every time we take one step towards that, we take two steps back towards this. We've we've chosen something around which we've centered our lives, and it's very likely that that something isn't producing the results you were looking for when you first put that thing in place. So then the question becomes, what does the Bible say about Christ being the center of your marriage? And what does it say about actually experiencing the picture that you thought that you were chasing? What does it mean for a marriage to have the goal of being Christ-centered? Well, I want to hit two huge passages today, uh, both from the book of Matthew. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22. um, And basically... Uh, Jesus is presented with a question from the Old Testament. And, and this is 
uh, pretty common throughout the Gospels where Jesus was tested and the Pharisees and religious leaders would, would bring these questions before him, trying to trap him, trying to get him to say something stupid. Um, and Jesus was always ready with the right answer at the right time. And so in Matthew 22, this is kind of the scenario that's playing out. Um, we're going to start in verse 36, and, and Jesus receives this question. And if, you're, uh, if you've been around church, if you've heard sermons, if you grew up in Sunday school or whatever, you're going to recognize this passage. Um, but Matthew 22, verse 36, here's the question that Jesus is presented with. They say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the, what's the greatest commandment in the whole law? Now, this is, this is a big question because here's what you have to consider. The law that they're referring to is the entire Old Testament. Now, certainly uh, the law itself was contained within the first five books, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But they're, they're talking about the entire scriptures that they were given as a people, the prophets, all of the, all of the different things in the Old Testament. And in my Bible... And, it, and it's not the biggest Bible in the world. My Bible, the Old Testament, is 872 pages, right? This is, and that's tiny little print. And so we're talking about a huge chunk of content. And these people are saying, Jesus, of all of that in the entire law, what's the most important part? Narrow it down to one thing. And here's how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He says, with all of your being, love God. And that commandment can be found in Deuteronomy 6. It can be found in Leviticus 19. With all of your being, love God. Put Christ first. And not just first, but an all-encompassing place in the midst of everything else, right? And, and then here's how he closes it out, verse 40. Love the Lord your God. This is the greatest commandment. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The entire Old Testament scriptures, everything they had grown up with, everything about their traditions, everything they had been given, the entire scriptures ride on this command. Now, here's what we have to keep in mind. The Old Testament law for them was everything. Right here, here in our American culture, we we have. Let's say you're a, a church-going person, a Christian person, or whatever. You're, you're religious. You have your religious books, right? You have the Bible. You have your commentary. Whatever you have, you have your spiritual side, and then you have your nation's laws. You have laws from the federal government. You have your state laws. You have your local ordinances. And so there's this separation where here's our spiritual book, our spiritual guidance, our spiritual statutes that we try to live by. And here's our, our everyday kind of uh, secular laws and things that we try to live by. For them, everything was contained within these Old Testament laws. Everything was there. How to eat, how to farm, how to build how to buy and sell and work and play, how to mourn and how to celebrate, how to enact laws, how to carry out justice, how to treat the rich, how to treat the poor, how to live and love, how to be married, how to raise children. And so Jesus is saying, he's saying all of that hangs in the balance. All of that is dependent on this one thing. Everything else in scripture falls apart if this doesn't hold true in your life. Nothing in the nothing in the Bible will transform you if Christ is not at the center, not just as a top priority, 
but as the all-encompassing priority of your life, the priority from which all other priorities receive any reasonable chance. Now, uh, uh, back in youth pastor days, you give talks, you always have these really cool illustrations, you do you know visual aids, and you put them on stage or whatever, and one of them that we would often give is a, you'd put a dresser on stage, and you start talking about how every drawer is a priority, and our most important priorities go at the top, right? And so you've got... Um, uh, maybe you've got sports in the bottom drawer, and then you've got work in the next drawer, and you've got your kids in the next drawer, and you've got family, in, and, and then you get to the top drawer, and that's God. But looking back, that was a terrible illustration because <laughs> our relationship with Christ is not supposed to be a drawer in the dresser. Jesus is supposed to be the dresser, right? And so this isn't about just making Jesus a top priority in your life. He needs to be the all-encompassing priority around which all the other priorities take shape. So forget marriage being Christ-centered for a second. Forget the goal of marriage being Christ-centered. Our lives being Christ-centered. Our lives being Christ-centered is the only legitimate foundation on which to build any of our other hopes or dreams or desires or relationships. That, that uh, takes us to our second passage. Uh, flip over to Matthew chapter 6 now. Right? And you're going to recognize this passage as well. Just a little context for the verse we're going to read. This is the passage about worry. Right? talks about don't worry about clothes, don't worry about food, don't worry about your health, don't worry about your life. Right? I take care of the birds, I take care of the lilies of the field, I'm going to take care of you. So that's, that's the passage that we're jumping into. And, and it really, you can include anything else that we talk about. Work kids, money, marriage, don't worry. And it kind of culminates at verse uh, 33, Matthew 6, 33. And this is what he says at the culmination of this whole challenge to just don't worry about it. He says, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his plans and his values and his priorities and his goals and his agenda. Seek your relationship with him first and everything else you're concerned about, everything else you prioritize will be taken care of as well. So not only is is being Christ-centered the only legitimate foundation on which to, to build the rest of your life, but if we successfully live Christ-centered lives, God himself will build the rest of our lives on that foundation. He will add those things unto you. He will take care of the details you're concerned about. He'll take care of the things that you want to prioritize. He'll take care of the things that you're dreaming of. He will build the friendships. He will build the office relationships. He'll build the dynamics with your kids. He'll build the marriage that you're looking for. And so not only does he become the foundation on which everything else is built, he becomes the one doing the building. And this is going to come in handy over the rest of this series because when we talk about being mission-driven in our relationships, it's his mission. And when we talk about resisting temptation in our marriage, it happens in his strength. When we talk about making our, our marriage, a, a, our covenant lifelong, you, you can see where this is going. It all stems from not only making Christ the foundation, but allowing him to be the one who's building on the foundation. For Christ-centered, 
that becomes the only legitimate foundation on which to build our marriages. And if we're successfully Christ-centered, he not only becomes the foundation for our marriage to be built, but he becomes the builder of our marriage on top of that foundation. So what does that look like? Right? What, some, just some practical ideas for, for living, for being Christ-centered. Not even in our marriage, but in our lives, right? So, so for those of us who are married, those of us who are single, those of us who are in some weird spot in between where we're just not sure if we're coming or going, right? Wherever you're at, it, when it comes to being Christ-centered, you might be a little disappointed because it's really just the basics, right? That This is not earth-shattering. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not earth-shattering. It basically comes down to one of our huge next steps here at Fieldstone is that you got to get away. You got to get away. How much time are you spending in the Word? Not necessarily more verses, right? So if I, if I were to challenge you to do that more, it doesn't necessarily mean more verses. It could mean reading more, but it could also mean and very likely means a deeper study into what you're reading, uh, checking out supplemental resources to kind of uh, understand more of what you're reading and allow God to speak to you through that. It, it could mean meditating on the meaning and application for your life of the things that you're reading in Scripture. It, and in many cases, it often simply means asking the next question. Because the first question we ask when we're reading Scripture is simply, what does it say? What is God saying here? But then the next question, the deeper question, the more impacting question becomes, what does that word mean? Why would God say that? Right? Th- those are important next questions that we need to be asking as we're spending time in the Word and getting away with Jesus. And the next question becomes, how much time are you spending in conversation with Jesus? I want to challenge you to pursue a more intimate interaction with Christ. That, that doesn't mean, that doesn't have to mean more of you talking. Maybe it means more of that. Maybe you haven't been expressing yourself to Christ and sharing your thoughts and feelings and fears and, and victories with him. So maybe it means more of you talking. But I think more likely it means incorporating and increasing time spent listening to him. Allowing him to reveal the truth and application of a passage you just read. Asking him and allowing him to speak into your life taking time to write down the thoughts as you read and pray and allow God to speak as you journal your thoughts and things that you're hearing and things that you're reading. How much time are you getting away with Jesus to spend time in his word, to engage in intimate conversations with him where you are talking and he is talking? And maybe this question, how often before making a significant decision for your life, before making a significant decision for your family, how often do you honestly and genuinely stop to consider what God has to say about it? How he'd want you to respond, regardless of the outcome. I want to challenge you to start doing that. Incorporate that rhythm into your decision-making process to stop and seek God's wisdom and listen for his voice in a given situation, whether you're married or not, right? Whether the situation has to do with your family or not. Because it's seeking his kingdom and his outcomes and his values before our own. It's trusting him with the unseen before we commit to what we see.
And for those of you in a, in a close relationship with another human, it's, it's not only pursuing those basics and getting away on your own, but it's pursuing those basics and getting away together. And for those of you who are single, of any age or context, I want to remind you, you are in a relationship. You are not alone. Because if you are living Christ-centered, he is everything any of us could possibly want from a relationship. He's praying for you. That's true. Look it up. He's directing you. He's working in all things. When you're feeling weak, he is strong. When you fail, he can't wait to forgive you and love you back and talk it through. And when you're thriving, he can't wait to hear from you and celebrate with you. And so lean into Jesus and let him handle the human relationship, relationship stuff that you're worried about. Guys, here's what I truly believe. I truly believe that our concern should not be about having a Christ-centered marriage. I I know that sounds odd, given the fact that our first goal in this Relationship Goals series is to have a Christ-centered marriage, but I truly believe that's not our concern. Marriage is in the all these things category from Matthew 6, where it says all these things will be added to you. Marriage is in that all these things category. Marriage is not a foundation to build on. Marriage is something that's built on a foundation. And so I truly believe our concern is not about having a Christ-centered marriage. Our concern is having a life that is Christ-centered. And I believe if that is true for your life, you won't have to worry about your marriage being Christ-centered. Because what you're going to have is you're going to have two people who are passionately pursuing Jesus. And that's going to work out just fine. And so if you're sitting out there and you're listening and, and maybe, maybe you're not experiencing the life you envisioned for yourself, maybe you're not experiencing the marriage you experienced for yourself, maybe you're not experiencing any relationships that you envisioned for yourself, I want you to consider, is it possible that you have not made Jesus the center of your life? And some of that is simply applying the scriptures, applying the truth of God's word to your life as a believer, but but it's possible that you've never made the decision to give your heart and life and mind to Christ in a real way, in an authentic way. And so I want to give you that opportunity. Uh, Wherever you're at, wherever you're listening to this, Um, just take a time to consider, man, have I ever acknowledged and believed and put my faith and my trust in the truth that Jesus is God, that he came and he died after living a sinless life and he made himself an ultimate sacrifice for my sin, for my brokenness. If that's you, if you've never made that decision, it's, it's simply this, it's simply taking in the quietness of your heart and saying, God, I need you. I need you beyond some form of religion. I need you beyond uh, something to do on Sunday mornings. God, I need you to be the one and only central figure in my life around which everything else revolves. Come into my life. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Change me. Forgive me. Free me from what I'm experiencing in God. Be the foundation, and then God build things on that foundation.
I want to experience everything there is to be experienced in you. Come into my life, and from this day forward, help me to love you and live for you and experience all there is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, wherever you're at, whether you made a first-time decision to follow Jesus, or maybe this was a day to kind of recommit yourself, not just to a Christ-centered marriage, but a Christ-centered life in which a Christ-centered marriage can flow from, um, or maybe you're struggling with, with questions or fears or uncertainty in this crazy uh, coronavirus time, um, I'd love to hear from you. Um, shoot me an email, justin at fieldstonechurch.org. Um, you know, leave us a comment on one of our social media things. Um, we, you know, we, I just don't want you to walk this thing alone, right? It, if you're struggling in a relationship, if you're struggling um, uh, wishing you were in a relationship or uh, healing from a past relationship, whatever it is, uh, love to walk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, we'd love to even potentially connect you with others in our church family who have already walked the journey that you are walking now, uh, whatever that is. And so uh, feel free to reach out. We'd love to chat uh, and talk more about this series. Otherwise, uh, we'll connect again next week with goal number two of this series, Relationship Goals. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later.